0: Hello church family. Happy Resurrection Sunday. I hope and pray that you're doing well, that you're in good health, and that you're blessed. You know, I never would have imagined that we would be celebrating Resurrection Sunday apart from each other, but even though we're not together physically, we're together uh, in spirit, and, and that's a blessing as well. Can you imagine how wonderful, how amazing, and how exciting it's going to be when we're finally able to come together as a body of Christ, worshiping, praying, loving each other, and learning God's word together. It's going to be awesome. So I just can't wait for that. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. That's the text today. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verses 8 through 10. And I want to begin with a question. As believers, what is the motivating factor? What is the motivating factor that moves us to pray, to read God's Word, to serve, to witness, to come to church, to sing, to be different, and to live right? What is the motivating factor? Well, it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's it. Listen, our Christian faith is hinged on the resurrection, In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, write it down, uh, verses 12 through 19, 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 19, Paul simply tells us that without the resurrection, everything that we do and everything that we believe is irrelevant. So I want you to follow me here. If Jesus had not risen, the church has no message for this lost world. If Jesus had not risen, the apostles and all of the preachers after them have misrepresented God as having raised Jesus. If Jesus had not risen, my faith and your faith is futile, it's worthless, it's empty, and you and I are still guilty and under the condemnation that results from sin. If Jesus had not risen, all believers who died in faith in Him are perished, they're gone forever. If Jesus had not risen, we are sad individuals because we have built our faith in our lives on an illusion." But Paul says in verse 20 of 1 Corinthians 15, and I love this, but indeed, he says, but indeed, Christ has been raised from the dead. Good place to say amen. Now listen, were it not for the fact that Jesus conquered death and conquered the grave, I wouldn't be preaching this message to you, and you wouldn't be watching nor listening to it as well. But I'm preaching it. And you're watching and listening to it because He, Christ, has in fact been raised from the dead. Therefore, listen now, our foundation is firm, our preaching is genuine, our faith is alive, our witness is true, our forgiveness is accomplished, our life has significance, and our future is secure. I love that. The title of my message today is The Ultimate Message. The Ultimate Message. Today's text is, is not a typical text used for Easter for, for Resurrection Sunday, but I do hope that the text speaks to your heart. Let me give some background here. When, when Paul wrote 2 Timothy, his situation had drastically changed. He was now a prisoner in Rome, and he's dictating his final letter before he faces death. Now, now at this point, at this point, almost all of Paul's associates in the ministry were gone, and only Luke. Uh, was at his side to assist him. So it was a dark hour for Paul. But Paul, being the godly man that he is, his concern was not for himself. It was for young Timothy and also for the success of the gospel. So here what he does, he addresses young Timothy, his son in the faith, and encourages Timothy to be faithful, to be faithful. And you see, Paul is determined to make sure that Timothy would not falter nor get discouraged under the pressures of preaching or of persecution. Now before we get into the main text let's let's read verses 1 through 7 to get the whole context of the text. So so follow me here. You then my son be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. I want to stop there. You see, as a student, Timothy was taught many things, many things by Paul. And now, Timothy, as a young pastor, must teach those things to others. He must invest what he knows into the lives of others. Now, what Paul does, Paul now likens the ministry to three occupations, three occupations. So I want you to follow me here. The first occupation is a soldier. Let's read the text, verses 3 and 4. Endure hardship with us, Paul says, like a good soldier. There it is, a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civil affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. So Paul tells Timothy, persevere for God with a soldier's attitude. In other words, give all of your energies to the warfare and none of your energies to worldly affairs. The second occupation is an athlete. Look at verse 5. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, there it is, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. So Paul tells Timothy, persevere for God with an athlete's attitude. In other words, strive for the victor's crown. And the third occupation is a farmer. Look at verse 6. The hardworking farmer, there it is, farmer, should be the first to receive a share of the crops. So Paul is telling Timothy, persevere for God with an attitude of a farmer. In other words, work hard to harvest a large crop. And then look at verse 7. He tells Timothy, reflect. Love that. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight to all this. So, So Paul tells Timothy to reflect Say that. Reflect. Reflect on what he has just written to him, and God, God, this is now, will give Timothy insight. So Paul tells Timothy to reflect. Then Paul gives Timothy three reminders. He says reflect. Now he gives him three reminders. That now brings us to our text. Three points. Here we go. Number one is this. Remember the fact of the resurrection. Remember the fact Of the resurrection. Look at verse 8 with me. Remember, there it is. Remember, Paul says, remember, Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David. And I want to stop there. This statement, raised from the dead, means Jesus was fully God. The statement descended from David means Jesus was fully man. So follow me here. The resurrection confirms Jesus' deity, his descent from David confirms his humanity. Now, the verb tense means, and I love this, he was raised from the dead in the past and continues now as the risen one. That's awesome. Now, now I want you to remember, Paul wrote this while he was in prison, bound in change, right? Awaiting execution. And what is he doing? What is Paul doing? What is he doing? He's celebrating the resurrection. He's reminding Timothy of the resurrection. Wow, that's mind-blowing, Right? That's crazy. That's awesome, okay? He's simply saying to Timothy, no matter what comes your way, no matter what you face in life, no matter what you face in ministry, don't forget that Jesus Christ is alive. Remember, He has, in fact, been raised from the dead. You remember, Paul's telling Timothy, you you remember Jesus the way I have remembered Jesus, and you do it no matter what the cost, even if it takes you to a Roman prison. Friends, the resurrection is a fact. It's a fact. There's evidence. So I want you to follow me here, okay? There's, first of all, prophetic evidence. Write that down. There's, first of all, prophetic evidence. There there are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament regarding Jesus the Messiah, and many involving His death and resurrection. And, and, And most of these prophecies were given hundreds or even thousands of years before Jesus was born, and yet we see... That he fulfilled all of them. I want you to write these scriptures down. Genesis 3:15. Genesis 3:15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his hill. That speaks of Satan's defeat when Jesus rose from the dead. Other passages, I don't have time to read them to you, is Psalm 16, Psalm chapter 16 verses 10 through 11, and Psalm 22, the Messianic Psalm, Psalm 22, the whole chapter, and Isaiah 53, Isaiah 53. So there's prophetic evidence, but there's also historic evidence. Write that down, historic evidence. And you have the empty tomb. John 20, verses 6 through 7, speaks of that. John 20, verses 6 through 7, and Matthew chapter twenty eight verses eleven through fifteen. So you have the empty tomb. Also you have eyewitnesses, eyewitnesses. in in First Corinthians chapter fifteen verses one through eleven, Paul records a large crowd of more than five hundred witnesses who saw the risen, who saw the risen Christ at the same time. Now now the haters of the gospel claimed that Jesus' followers were so emotionally distraught about his death that they began to hallucinate and imagine that they saw Jesus alive. While psychologists say that it would be impossible for a large crowd of people to have had the same hallucination at once. In Acts 4.33, Acts 4.33, it says, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in our text today, Right, Paul says what? Remember, Jesus Christ raised from the dead. Listen, friends, countless people have died for Jesus, absolutely certain that the resurrection of Christ is a, is a historical fact. Tradition says 10 of the original apostles died as martyrs for Christ, as did Paul. And hundreds, perhaps thousands, of early Christians died in the Roman arena and, and, and also in prisons for their faith. So you have prophetic evidence, historic evidence, but there's also scientific evidence. Write that down, scientific evidence. Most of you have heard about the the Shroud of Turin, and scientists are still doing research on the Shroud, but it's fascinating. So I want to read a report about the Shroud. The image on the Shroud shows a man with puncture wounds through both wrists and through the tops of both feet. He was beaten, having bruises on his cheeks and forehead, a twisted nose, one eye swollen half shut, and a cut upper lip. More than 120 whipping wounds are visible over most of his body and are consistent with being scourged by a Roman flagellum. He is cut throughout the scalp by a number of sharp objects, and those wounds would be consistent with the crown of thorns that was forced down on Jesus' head as he was mocked as King of the Jews. A reference to that is Matthew 27, 29. Matthew 27, 29. They often broke the legs of those who were crucified to hasten death, but the legs of the man on the shroud were not broken. A reference to that is John 19, John 19, 33. There is a spear wound in the side of the man on the shroud with a large amount of blood and fluid. In the Gospels, it's recorded that the guards saw that Jesus was dead, so rather than break his legs, they stabbed him in the side, just to make sure. A reference to that is John 19, verse 34. John 19, verse 34. Also crucified people were not usually buried. They were thrown into common graves, not wrapped in an expensive piece of fine linen. Yet, the Bible records that Jesus was wrapped in cloth and buried in the tomb of a rich man, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a member of the Sanhedrin. A reference to that is Mark 15, verses 43-47, through 47. Mark 15, 43-47. What's more, the report says, out of hundreds of burial shrouds found, none have an image and certainly nothing that can't be explained, only blood and decomposition stains. It's also quite interesting that there was no decomposition found on the shroud, and the clots and dried borders of the blood stains are intact, which seems to indicate that the man in the shroud was not unwrapped. This would be consistent with Jesus' miraculous exit after being in the tomb for only three days. Wow, that's amazing. So there's prophetic evidence, there's historic evidence. There's scientific evidence, and there's dynamic evidence. Write that down, dynamic evidence. You know, there are many, many more scriptures that give proof of his resurrection, but the biggest proof of his resurrection, get this now, is changed lives. Changed lives. The lives from the past to the present who have been saved by Jesus Christ. Jesus' disciples were forever changed after the resurrection. What about what happened in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 9, Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 9, probably the greatest conversion of all time. That was Paul's conversion, and Paul never forgot his conversion. And what Jesus did, Jesus supernaturally intervened in his life, and this appearance of Jesus to Paul changed his life forever, changed his whole life. And it changed him so drastically that he went from Saul of Tarsus to Paul, the preacher, from religious profession to personal regeneration. He came hating, Paul came hating, and he went away loving. And he began that day, the greatest Christian evangelist. You see, contact with the resurrected Christ changed his life, and this in itself is proof that the resurrection did happen. Now, if you're saved, say amen. Listen, if you said amen, because of Jesus' resurrection, my life and your life has been forever changed. Write this down, you might know this by heart, 2 Corinthians 5.17, 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You get that? New creation. The old has gone, the new has come. That being said, if you call yourself a Christian, then there ought to be evidence, there ought to be proof, there ought to be fruit of a changed life. Because contact with the resurrected Christ results in a changed life. Now, if you're saved, say amen. If you said amen, no matter what we're facing right now, no matter what hardship, no matter what pain, what circumstance, COVID-19, okay, no matter what we're facing, don't forget Jesus Christ is alive. Remember that He has risen from the dead. So whether you lost a job or whether you've been betrayed by a friend or whether you're enduring turmoil in your family or you're being laughed at because of your faith or you're enduring an illness or if you lost a loved one, the resurrection of Jesus Christ should transform the way that you look at your own trials and suffering. And that's what Paul is saying here. So don't fret, don't fear, and don't forget that Jesus Christ Is alive. That is the ultimate message. Get it? That is the ultimate message for you and I. That's it. That's the answer to life. Remember that Jesus Christ is alive. That's all that really matters, friends. The cross is empty, the tomb is empty, and Jesus is alive. And listen, nothing, I'm going to say this nothing can diminish our future in Christ. Nothing, nothing can overturn the power of the resurrection. So meditate on that truth and let it work deeply in your mind, deeply in your heart, and let it give you fresh strength to persevere and endure. Jesus Christ is alive. So what's the lesson? Because there's a lesson here. The lesson is this. Remember Jesus in your trials. Remember Jesus in your trials. What's your focus going to be on? Jesus or your trial? Jesus or your pain? Jesus or the storm? We need to focus on Jesus because He's alive. And that's Paul's point. Remember Jesus in your trials. Number two is consider the force of the resurrection. Number two, consider the force of the resurrection. Write that down. Let's read all of verse 8 now. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is, this is what Paul says, this is my gospel. Now, obviously, obviously friends, this doesn't mean that Paul invented the gospel. It simply means that he viewed the gospel as his personal treasure. In other words, he made it personal. And Paul's gospel was a good news that God had sent him to declare that man can be right with God and receive eternal life. You see, Paul had experienced the force, in other words, the power of the gospel of the resurrected Christ. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, we're going to go back to 1 Corinthians 15 now. In 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 20, I referenced this in the introduction of our message. In 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 20, Paul, what he does there, he gave a synoptis of his gospel to the Corinthians. So I want you, if you can, turn to that again, 1 Corinthians 15, chapter 15, verses 1 through 20, because I want to break it down for you. If you're there, say amen. Now notice, first of all, notice the proclamation of Jesus' resurrection, Verses 1 and 2 of 1 Corinthians 15. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. Verse 2. By this gospel, love this, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. So that's the proclamation of Jesus' resurrection. Now notice the prophecy of Jesus' resurrection, the prophecy of Jesus' resurrection, verses 3 and 4 of 1 Corinthians 15. For what I received I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Verse 4, that He was buried that He was raised on the third day according to the, the Scriptures. That's the prophecy of Jesus' resurrection. But also notice the proof, the proof, of Jesus' resurrection, verses five through eight. Verses five through eight, the proof of Jesus' resurrection, and that He appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. After that, He appeared to more than five hundred of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep, although some have died. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Now, in verses 9 through 11, I don't have time to read it to you, but you can see how Paul's life was changed. And then verses 12 through 19, remember this? Paul simply tells us that without the resurrection, everything we do and believe is irrelevant. But notice notice the power of the resurrection in verse 20. The power of the resurrection. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. And then he says this, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. What does that mean? That means that Jesus was the first one to die, resurrect, and never die again. Therefore, friends, he is our entrance fee to the resurrection. He paid our admission to the resurrection. So listen, follow me now. Our ultimate resurrection rests on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. John 11:25 and 26. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever believes or excuse me, whoever lives, whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then it says this, do you believe this? Friends, because of the resurrection, we as believers have the power to stand, have the power to strive, and have the power to serve. Now, if you're saved, say amen. I have a question for you. In your life, in your life, are you affirming the resurrection of Jesus Christ? I'm going to say it again. In your life, are you affirming the resurrection of Jesus Christ? In other words, are you living like a true believer? Do people see Christ in you? Is He living in and through you? In your life, are you affirming the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Point number three is deliver the faith of the resurrection. Deliver the faith of the resurrection. Look at verse 9. For which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal, but God's Word is not chained. I love that. God's Word is not chained. So some people in Paul's day probably thought that since Paul was in prison, that his ministry was over. It was done. But it wasn't. Because Paul wrote to the Philippians while he was in prison, in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12-13, to 13, 14, excuse me, verses 12 through 14 of Philippians chapter 1. And he writes this, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Love that. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. You see, Paul found that God actually used his chains. And Paul shared the gospel with the palace guard, and many became believers. And not only that, but other believers saw what Paul was doing and became bolder. I love that bolder to share the gospel as well. Now if you're safe, say amen. Don't think, don't think that the power of God's word is limited to whether or not a person believes that God's word is true. You just share the word. Just share God's word. You know, one of the most powerful phrases, Billy Graham used to share his message was, the Bible says. He'd be preaching and and preaching, and he would say, the Bible says. Well, here's what the Bible says about the word. Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart it's alive. The Word of God, it's alive. It's powerful. Now, here's what God says about His Word. Here's what God says about His Word, Isaiah fifty five eleven. So is my Word that goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Gosh, that's awesome. That's awesome. David Guzik uh, said this, the Bible has been attacked more than any other book throughout history. It has been burned, banned, mocked, twisted, and ignored. But the Word of God still stands forever. The Word of God is not chained. No government, no religious authorities, no skeptics, no scientists, no philosophers, or no book burners burners have ever been able to stop the work of the Word of God. Isaiah 48 the grass withers and the flowers fade, but only the word of God endures, stands, lasts forever. Listen, you, you cannot limit the power of God's word. You can't. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because, listen now, because it is the power of God the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentiles. Verse 10: Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul simply means that through his sufferings in preaching the gospel, God's elect would come to salvation and inherit the eternal glory that is in Christ Jesus. So there's a lesson. What's the lesson? Here's a lesson. We need to share the gospel, whatever the cost, and whatever the call. We need to share the gospel, whatever the cost, and whatever the call. If we are saved, then we have the answer to eternal life. We have it. Okay, we have what the lost need. Okay, We have, listen now, the ultimate message. Get that. You and I have the ultimate message, and that is that Jesus Christ is alive. He's not dead. He's alive. So we need to share it. We need to deliver the faith of the gospel. Now, as we wrap this up, I want to quickly, quickly share three things with you if you are saved, Okay? And if you're saved, I want to share three things with you quickly here. In our risen Savior, listen now, we have the cure for our sin. In the risen Savior, we have the cure for our sin. Follow me now. Our sin, past, present, and future, has been washed by His blood. And we don't have to live, listen now, with shame and guilt anymore. We've been forgiven. We've been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, okay? We're saved from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin, and ultimately from the presence of sin. His redeeming blood saved us and washed us, okay, and saved us from having to go to hell. Write this down, Colossians 2.13. Colossians 2.13. When you were dead in your sins, And in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. So in our risen Savior, we have the cure for our sin. But also in our risen Savior, we have the courage to live. Love that. We have the courage to live. And friends, despite all the trials that we go through, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loves us. Write this down, Romans 8, verses 38 to 39. Romans 8, chapter 8, verses 38 to 39. It says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In our risen Savior, we have the cure for our sin, the courage to live. And finally, in our risen Savior, we have the comfort to die. The comfort to die. We no longer have to face death with fear. Why? Because our risen Savior has conquered death. Write this down, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 54 through 55, 1 Corinthians 15 54 to 55, death has been swallowed up in victory. Oh, where, where, oh, death is your victory? Where, oh, death is your sting? Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We will live with him forever and ever and ever in heaven. 1 John 2.25, 1 John 2.25, and this is the promise that he has promised us, even eternal Life. Listen, the cure for sin is found in Jesus. The courage to live is faith in Jesus. The comfort to die is our future with Jesus. Now, I want to close with an invitation to receive Jesus Christ. And if you've never received Christ into your heart to be your personal Lord and Savior, I want to give you that opportunity to do that today. You must do three things. You must, first of all, admit that you are a sinner. Admit that you are a sinner. Acknowledge you need a substitute. Acknowledge you need a substitute and accept Jesus as your Savior. Accept Jesus as your Savior. Romans 10 verse 9 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will, not might, you will be saved. So if you want to be saved today, if you want to surrender your life to Jesus, that He will live in you, I want you to close your eyes, bow your heads, and repeat this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner, and I need you to come into my life and to cleanse me of all of my sins. I confess with my mouth, and I believe within my heart, you are the risen Lord. I am saved. I am sealed. I am sanctified. I am satisfied. I am purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, I am born again. Thank you, Jesus, for saving my life. And I will serve you from this day forth faithfully until you call me home. For it is in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you pray that prayer, we want to hear from you. So God bless you all. I love you. Have a wonderful Resurrection Sunday. And remember... Jesus Christ has risen from the dead.